What is crack-a-lacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you with yet another spectacular, fantabulous podcast episode where we're going to belly flop into just a bunch of the latest NBA rumors and rumblings entering the dog days of the offseason. There's a lot of big market bias in this podcast because it seems like some big markets, or at least big markets that are in discussions to acquire bigger players are slowing down some of the other transactions that we might see in free agency be it that or smaller trades. Before we get started, though, please, please, pretty please with trigger on top. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you're watching us. If you're on YouTube, it helps us out a ton. If you hit that subscribe button, give us likes, comments, help us break the algorithm as we continue to try and grow the following here. If you're listening to this via audio, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, the whole nine, Google Podcasts, whatever it's called now. Uh, we really appreciate every single one of you, new listeners as well. And of course, returning listeners, remember to follow us on all the socials, join our discord channel as well, where all great sorts, all types of conversations are happening all the time or at various times, especially when there are news breaking triggers, the links to all of those, the social channels uh, and the discord are in the podcast description, whether you're on YouTube or listening to this Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, again, really appreciate all of our new subscribers and YouTube especially has been a focus. So even if you're listening to this via podcast, head over to the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe. I can't tell you how much it means and how much it, it helps. Just indescribable. With that, I feel like it's time to cannonball into the latest. We did a bunch on, um, we've done a bunch on Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Russell Westbrook already, but those are where the updates come in. And I think we should start with, um, I'm going to begin with Russ because I don't want to spend too much time on him since we just had a podcast re released about basically all things Russell Westbrook on um, this past week. So go check that out on YouTube or via the podcast feed. But this one's also about the Knicks and then ties into the Donovan Mitchell street sweepstakes. So how about that for natural segue? Let's start here. This was aggregated, aggregated improperly at, at, at certain outlets, but Mark Stein via his Substack reported um, that there were, there was a source who advised him in Las Vegas to keep an eye on the Knicks and Lakers discussing a potential Westbrook deal. If, if, Emphasis was his. Leon Rose can successfully bring Donovan Mitchell to Madison Square Garden. The source is thinking, after adding Mitchell, New York would be expected to explore scenarios to trade away Julius Randle. And Randle, just one season removed from his breakthrough All-Star and All-NBA status, is presumably the sort of player the Lakers would have to consider taking on if, if, again the emphasis, they are unable to use Westbrook's $47.1 million expiring contract in a trade for Kyrie Irving. Uh, this is an interesting setup, and it's one that I've been proposing for a long time on behalf of the Knicks. I've been proposing it in the form of a reboot. Even if you don't get Donovan Mitchell, I know you just signed Jalen Brunson. If you can pawn off the four years, $117 million left on Randall's deal, he's about to start his extension. 106 of that is guaranteed. For Russ's expiring salary, you do it. You're funneling like you know 40% if the whole thing is ends up being guaranteed into one season of Russ. That's fine. He comes off the books. You're not going to be a contender next season anyway, especially if you don't get Donovan Mitchell. That opens up other avenues of flexibility for you moving forward. I think the end game, let's say the Knicks acquire Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that can't be it. You need to figure out a way to get another star in there. Either a, I'm not someone who's going to say, one, that title contention is the end-all be-all, or that you even need someone who can be the best player on a contender. I think the aggregate still matters. If you want a, an equal to Donovan Mitchell or someone who's slightly his superior, having two top 25 players certainly puts you in the, the title discussion in most instances if you properly flesh out the depth, depth around them. So if you get Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, not that guy. Very good player, not that other top 25 guy. Could R.J. Barrett be that guy? 
I don't know. Just odds-wise, you bet against it because there are only 25 players in the league who would be that top 25 guy. Uh, I do really like R.J. Barrett. I think his defense is still underrated at this point. He can probably be pretty plug-and-play on offense, but if you're going to be the, a top 25 type player, you either need to be one of the best defenders in the league, he does not profile as that, or you need to have a ton of self-creation to your game. I still remain skeptical about his off-the-dribble jumper. Uh, he did get to the rim a ton, especially towards the end of last season, right around the, the new year. The finishing is still spotty. My point is, if you're the Knicks, you want to have as much much flexibility as possible to acquire more star talent after getting Mitchell. You're probably going to exhaust a good, if not huge portion of your draft pick and um, prospect stores with this Donovan Mitchell trade. Can you find someone in free agency? It'll be tough knowing that RJ Barrett, if you keep him in the Mitchell trade is extension eligible, but Mitchell's on that first rookie extension for the next three years. Jalen Brunson is at way below sub max money. Uh, you would be able to shoehorn max space in there at some point. Um, or again, maybe it's a sign and trade scenario where you're just at least creating the flexibility necessary to send out money to bring in someone else. Julius Randall and Evan Fournier to a lesser extent hampers that. I also don't like the idea of Julius Randall playing with Mitchell and Brunson and RJ Barrett. If he's still there, uh, he's someone who still is going to need a lot of touches. It doesn't seem like he wants to be someone who was used basically as like a screen and roll type big or pick and pop type big that may actually be his best role moving forward. So if you're the Knicks, no, you're not giving up a pick to get Westbrook's expiring salary. And I don't think Randall's contract has skewed so far gone that teams won't be willing to acquire it, at least just if you offered it straight up and you were sending out expiring money. He's one season removed from a second-team All-NBA appearance. And if he's even 70% of that player, his contract under the rising cap becomes sort of a bargain. I just don't think the Knicks are set up to make it that way, especially as they seem to be transitioning to, you know, they have Brunson, they have Barrett and Mitchell. They're focusing on uh, these perimeter-type cornerstones. And Julius Randle, not super interior, but just sort of this... Um, this big, who's also not the cleanest fit alongside a Mitchell Robinson or a traditional rim runner like a Jericho Sims as well. Uh, you're probably going to want to have more floor spacing around him than you currently can. You want to play him next to a floor spacing five is my point, because you're not sure if his three point shot is going to stick his step back off the dribble three. That's certainly doubtful that he'll ever be able to match the 2020, 2021 efficiency. Just the point being your pecking order gets overly crowded. We saw how that can have an adverse impact on some players in New York this season when they had Rose until he was injured and Fournier and Kemba Walker and Julius Randle um, that had until later in the season when he was really given the keys to the offense that hurt RJ Barrett's offensive development. And so you're not, this isn't all about RJ now, if you're getting Mitchell, but you have Brunson and Mitchell and RJ on offense to me, Julius Randle becomes superfluous. Do you need a pick if you're the Knicks? That might be another way of, hey, we're taking on Russ's salary. Randall can still be maybe a positive NBA player. He certainly can play the minutes without LeBron and AD. I would argue better than Russ can, just looking at the type of value he provides as someone who's a more efficient off-the-dribble shooter than, than Russell Westbrook, or at least more of a threat or more of has more upside there, I think you can argue, just based off what he did in 2021. Uh, so even having him there for that value, we also know the Lakers want to play AD with another big, uh, you could probably argue that Randall might be better off defending certain types of fives that are more stationary. He had a pretty good defensive season in 2021. Uh, also you do sort of then have two floor spacers up front. If you trust Randall to at least hit the three and you think AD's jumper is going to be better at the very least it's one together rather than trying to play him with, you know, Damian Jones, uh, which I don't think we'll see a ton of, but just as an example, they have Thomas Bryant there on a minimum deal. He will chuck threes, so you can play him with Davis. Randall's sort of an extension of that, but brings a lot more ball handling 
to the equation. Uh, and I just think he's, if you really get him to buy into it when he's at the five with LeBron or another ball handler of the Lakers, maybe it's second units with him and Lonnie Walker, the fourth, you can do some damaging stuff with those two. Uh, not the ideal outcome if you're the Lakers and you know Kyrie's on the table, but if you're not willing to give up two firsts, maybe two swaps, uh, will you just do Randall for Russ straight up? And I, there needs to be other money included in there as well. Um, and that's where maybe if you're the Knicks, you could extract additional value out of because Randall comes in next season at 23.8. Uh, so you're probably sending, I guess, Derek Rose out as part of that deal as well. Uh, now that Taj Gibson's gone, or is it if it's Cam Reddish too? Uh, that really doesn't get you to Russ's money, though. So it would have to be basically Evan Fournier and or Derrick Rose attached to Randall for Westbrook. And if you're the Knicks, look, maybe with Rose being an expiring contract as well and someone who can actually help the Lakers, are they giving you their 2027 first? Perhaps it's a way to recoup some draft equity. If I'm the Lakers, the Westbrook fit is so bad, I would absolutely trade a first-round pick with Russ. In 2027, I would trade one. If I'm the Knicks, I don't need one. But I, if I'm the Lakers and they're pushing for it, I would trade one uh, for Rose and Randall, or even Fournier, who's a really good fit, but his contract is just sort of blah. And so if you're looking to stay flexible moving forward, getting Randall at a lower price point, uh, and then also just having Rose's deal, he has a team option in 23-24, come off the books, there's value there. You might just prefer a straight-up um, dump in getting expiring contracts for Russ. And if you're going to do that, um, you still need to grease the wheels of the equation with a third team. That gets complicated. Just some food for thought there. If I were the Knicks, though, whether you have Donovan Mitchell or not, it doesn't even matter if Donovan Mitchell's there or not. I'm, I would trade Randall for Russell Westbrook straight up just to maximize your flexibility moving forward. Uh, and again, I know there have to be other moving pieces there involved. And if you could do something like Fournier and Randall for Westbrook, and then there's no picks involved, let's say the Lakers are just willing to do that. Perhaps they value having two players on these. Um, you know, It's a declining contract for Randall, and then Fournier is going to be a an 18 plus million dollar matching salary chip in this season. And the following one has a team option on the fourth year of his deal. So if they're viewing it like that, if I'm the Knicks, I'm even jumping on that more. It makes you more flexible in advance of 2023. So I don't think you acquire Westbrook with the intention of keeping him either. You wave him or buy him out and he'll, he'll end up somewhere else. If you don't acquire Mitchell, maybe you talk yourself into having Russ there for a season as a draw. I'd still rather have him go elsewhere just because at that point, if you don't have Mitchell, you still have Brunson, and then I'm all aboard the, you know, hey, develop develop uh, RJ Barrett. You still have Quentin Grimes in that scenario. He showed some off-the-dribble juice in summer league. That's where I'm at with Russ. However, the Lakers might be somewhere else with Russ at this point uh, because they had a huddle on the phone. I don't know how you can have a huddle on the phone since you're not in person, but LeBron, AD, and Russ apparently spoke uh, via telephone, according to Yahoo Sports, is Chris Haynes while they were in um, Vegas for the summer league and vowed to make it work with one another per that that article. Um, so they reiterated their commitment to one another. I don't really know what that means. Uh, does it? Do they all just understand that a trade is unlikely? Uh, Russ got rid of his agent, Thad Foucher, who wanted him to stay with the Lakers. And by the way, I called Thad Foucher, Chris Foucher in the other podcast. I have no idea why I did that. A couple people pointed it out. Thank you for pointing it out. Uh, but... I don't really know what this says. My gut and my, let's call it an educated guesstimate, is that if the Lakers put the 2027 and 2029 picks on the table, they would have Kyrie Irving on their team. And so does this huddle suggest that LeBron and AD and even Russ knows that's not going to happen? Um, I still just, it's not that I don't think there's a, a strong chance Russ is still with the Lakers entering training camp. 
there feel like there could be other scenarios at play where maybe it doesn't cost the Lakers as much to get off Russ. Perhaps it's Julius Randle. Maybe it's something with the Pacers involving Buddy Heald. Uh, maybe it's something with the Spurs involving Josh Richardson. They have cap space to make the difference work. And perhaps they're only giving up one pick then. I don't know. Uh, this would seem to suggest, though, if this meeting actually happened, that the Lakers, and specifically LeBron and AD, are probably skeptical of their chances of playing with Kyrie next season. That, again, go listen to the previous podcast we did on Russ in the feed, in the YouTube feed, in our podcast feed. That would be a disaster on the Lakers' behalf. If you can give up the 27 and 29 picks for Kyrie Irving... You do it at this point. I know you don't want to mortgage more of your future, but your window is LeBron and AD. Just, just do it. You want flexibility for 23. You're not going to have max money for another player unless LeBron takes a huge pay cut. You're going to have basically no one on the books, but with LeBron's max salary on top of Davis's, you, you don't have room for another max salary. You would if you traded for Kyrie Irving, had his bird rights, and were able to re-sign him in free agency. I know that Kyrie is not the most trustworthy player on the court at this point, and don't even get me started about Kyrie off the off the court. Please, pretty please. The alternative, though, is trying to make this work with Russ, and there's no clear path to making it worth. Even if you think Westbrook's at fault because he hasn't adjusted enough, even if you think LeBron and AD are at fault because they haven't adjusted enough, uh, this whole model is just all sorts of fucked up, and there's too many ball-dominant talents here. Russ isn't a good enough defender or floor spacer isn't a high volume enough ball screener. I don't know that Darvin ham can just come in and work that sort of magic. Kudos to ham for being super cred, um, super uh, complimentary of Westbrook since arriving in LA. What else can you really do though? I don't put much stock into this huddle. I think if the Lakers went to LeBron and said, Hey, we can get Kyrie for these two first round picks. You want us to do it? He would absolutely do it. He's probably already pushing for them to do it. Um, but it is good that these three have at least spoken per Yahoo sports so that they can maybe have a, at least a good enough working relationship. You don't want to have the specter of all this drama off the court, looking at their personalities, their relationships, having that hang over everything. In addition to knowing it's a complicated on court fit and that your roster is a little bit better balanced compared to last season, but not much better off. It's just an unnecessary issue. Um, it's great that they're vowing to make it work. That being said, even if everything's hunky-dory emotionally, psychologically, men mentally entering the season, I just don't I don't see it happening. I wouldn't rule the Lakers out if they're healthy from being able to make the playoffs, maybe even making some noise in the playoffs. There are, as of right now, with this team, barring another transaction, at least three, maybe four squads in the West that I would pick to win the title over them. Uh, the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Clippers for sure. I don't know what's going on in Phoenix. If they just run it back, I'll be a little bit disappointed. I'd probably still put them above the Lakers, though. Um, that's four right there. And there's this is need to say, uh, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm all Pelicans everything right now. The Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be a lot better with Rudy Gobert. Something else still needs to be done in LA. Can they get a Josh Richardson using Town Horton Tucker? Even something along that lines would be uh, more inspiring for them. But there's still much, so much more to come with uh, the Russell Westbrook stuff. I just don't. I'm skeptical that he'll stay in LA, at least through the trade deadline next season. I'm completely out on this idea that it could work with him, LeBron and AD and the rest of the roster. And I was never on board. I thought maybe Russ could help them a little bit during the non-LeBron minutes. As I've said many times, though, if you're at a point where the path to obliterating your depth is justified on the basis of, oh, imagine what can happen when the one of the two best players in NBA history, uh, who's the, still the most important player on our team, is not on the floor there's an issue there and that those issues still remain. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell aspect of all of this, uh, just reading through uh, all sorts of everything. 
uh, Woj went on ESPN and basically said that the Jazz have spoken with the Knicks. Uh, there's a bunch of future draft picks involved. There are other frameworks that might have the opposite of that is what he said. He also noted that Utah could deal with other teams. Uh, he called negotiations a sliding scale. And he also said that the Jazz aren't in any rush to trade Mitchell. He compared it to um, the Gobert situation. Um, he said that he does think the Knicks and Jazz will re-engage this week, uh, but he could see this taking a while. He noted that, again, Minnesota and Gobert were talking for uh, quite a bit before they actually sent Rudy Gobert to uh, the Timberwolves. And it doesn't matter how motivated the Knicks are. Uh, if the jazz are, you know, holding out on a higher asking price, if they're using the Rudy Gobert baseline, which was essentially five first round picks and a swap plus players, they could flip for more value. That's a lot for New York to beat for a player who is going to be deemed more valuable around the league. He's cheaper. He's younger, uh, uh, operates from the point of attack. Rudy Gobert is the more valuable player right now to me, but if we're talking the next three, four years of their career, I'm going to take what's left of, of the Donovan Mitchell window there. I'm very interested to see how all this plays out, um, but I, I think I, I want to see what other teams are going to get involved because we've mostly heard about Miami and New York at this point, and that's where the other nuggets are coming from with Miami. There's no other team out there that's been linked to Mitchell specifically, at least, that can rival what the Knicks, to me, are offering or, or can offer in theory, um, even the heats best offer of Nikola Jovic, And then they can get up to three first round picks and then a bunch of swaps. Can that beat out the Knicks' best offer? Absolutely not. Which is why uh, it's also, this was reported, I think on multiple occasions at this point, but that the heat are trying to go around the league and acquire more first round picks to sort of buttress their, their offer. Uh, that report came from um, who did that come from? Oh, Jake Fisher of of the Please Don't Aggregate This podcast had mentioned it. I don't know their pathway to adding draft picks, though. Uh, and look, the, their best offer is still predicated on can they renegotiate that 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 obligation to they they have to to OKC and in twenty twenty five they probably can, but you have to factor that in there. But I don't know what their path is to getting more picks for this team. Who are you giving up? you're not trading Bam Adebayo for Mitchell. Like you're not doing that just to get Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant for that matter. doesn't seem like they want to. You're aging up your window too much there. I don't think Kyle Lowry's worth first rounders at this point with two years and 60 plus million left on, on his deal. Um, there was the report from Sean Davini of heavy.com that an anonymous executive said that, this was how it was phrased in the tweet from Sean Davini. What will it take to get Duncan Robinson from the heat says one league exec, a first round pick, no protections. I couldn't tell whether it was aggregated as anonymous exec says Duncan Robinson is worth an unprotected first round pick. I was that anonymous exec, Pat Riley. If that's how we're framing this, I took it as was this question. What would it take for a team to absorb Duncan Robinson's deal from the Miami heat? Just because, Look, if you're going to pay a lot for something, make it be shooting. But Robinson has four years and 70 plus million left on his contract. That's not nothing. So you're not getting an unprotected first round pick for Duncan Robinson. Am I, could I see a team just taking Duncan Robinson, sending you an expiring contract? Maybe, or at least not needing a ton to grease the wheels. Sure. Getting an unprotected first for Duncan Robinson. I can even look if it was, a contender, a championship contender that has um, next year's first round pick. They're going to protect it through the moon. It's going to be a bottom five first anyway. Could I see them sending 
that to the heat for Duncan Robinson, perhaps using a salary of a player that they don't use uh, actually, or functionally play. Maybe I wouldn't call that the most ridiculous thing in the world. I don't really know which team springs to mind. It's like, you know, if it was the Clippers, maybe, but they have Luke Kennard there and no imminent first round picks. Memphis would be interesting. How much do you trust your title window? Is it a top 20 protected first round pick then? And you're, you know, you're giving up like Danny Green, who can be aggregated in September for them. Um, and then a smaller salary for Duncan Robinson and a top 20, top 22 protected first round pick that potentially doesn't convey. Uh, like I could see something like that happening, but an unprotected first for Duncan Robinson. No, absolutely. And uh, look, to be clear, I'm not endorsing that trade. I'm just saying that's what they're looking at. I do wonder if the heat could get more first round picks um, by dangling a Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. I know some people are really interested in Omar Yurtsevin. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I need to see more from him. He had really some interesting moments uh, around the basket as a rebounder this season. For Struess and Vincent together, they're both on expiring deals, uh, but they make so little. Could I see a contender giving them up a pick for one of them? Struess probably would be, Struess would be my pick if you're going to send out one. For both, Maybe like a lower end, maybe a mid end first round pick, not a lottery pick or anything. So I could see the Heat being a plus one first round pick if they're dangling Struess and Vincent, and those players aren't interesting. The Brooklyn for KD or Utah for Donovan Mitchell, Tyler Hero would be the the bigger one. Let's say Utah or Brooklyn doesn't want to pay Tyler Hero's impending extension. Is there a better team that's not going to have cap space that wants to pay Tyler Hero that would give up? let's say multiple first for him again, just because even if they're going to have cap space, do they want to go through the restricted free agency process knowing that the heat can just match? Probably not. I just don't know. You know, what are we talking here? You even go through the teams that are on the, the win now timelines that might be interested. He would be kind of interesting really in Milwaukee. They don't have the pick equity, especially you're not giving up distant first for Tyler hero. Uh, like Philly doesn't need them. Phoenix. Well, Phoenix would actually be interesting because they could use another like ball handler and shot creator. Would you give up if you're Phoenix? I, I think people are going to kill. No, because they already paid eight and they paid bridges. They have Paul and they have Booker, but hero would be interesting if it's like, Hey, your 2023 pick. And then just like a heavily protected other first, or is it, I'm not giving up cam Johnson and a pick for Tyler, but like, is there a situation along those lines? I honestly, like, I don't think Toronto hero's not their type of player. Uh, Washington doesn't need him. Boston could probably use him, but they already traded their 2023 first. So you go up and down the list. There's not really an obvious team. Cleveland, eh, like they, they could just resign Sexton at this point. Dallas could certainly use him, but they can't trade a first until 2025. And are they giving up a player and that pick for the Tyler hero equivalent? They probably have bigger fish in mind for that. So yeah, unless you're getting just two firsts for like two lower end firsts for Tyler Hero, and I haven't even identified the team that could be interested. Uh, like I could see you getting picks that way. How much more attractive does that make your offer for Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant? The idea of sending like let's say four to five first rounders plus three swaps or whatever it ends up being, or four swaps. Yeah, that's attractive. But when you start to get into the protections of them or what they actually are, because you're not getting this. You know, Orlando's not going to give you their Chicago 2025 pick for, oh, excuse me, uh, their Denver. Would they give their Denver 2025 pick for Tyler Hero? No. And they have Suggs and Paolo Bancaro there now. So it gets tough to spot where you're going to get multiple firsts from this. And I think if you're dealing with Tyler Hero specifically, 
like one first round pick, Tyler Hero's more valuable than one first round pick, unless that's just from you know the Sacramento Kings doing something inexplicable here. And they already gave up a heavily protected first that's protected way out into the distance that could really complicate any of their their best offers there. So uh, I just don't see Miami's pathway to getting more than one additional first round pick that isn't all that sexy. And it would take a team really valuing Struess and or Gabe Vincent. Not ruling it out, they'll maybe have an easier time getting another first rounder, depending on how things go with maybe maybe Caleb Martin's contract in the middle of the season. Unless you're dangling Jimmy Butler or Bam out of bio, though, I don't know how you're you know willing to explore uh, how you're going to end up. Excuse me, getting uh, just more first round equity here. They're a team to still watch in these sweepstakes because they can go all in with with the Jovich technically three first and then let's say four swaps package. I think that's at least interesting, especially if, you know, other teams are holding out from the, the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Uh, but I just, I don't, I don't see Miami's path to getting more first round equity, at least not a ton of it. Anyway, one that would make a material difference in their best offer for Mitchell and or KD. That's the best way to phrase it. Speaking of KD though. So we have a report from Adam Zagoria of NJ.com that, KD and even Kyrie are sort of prepared um, or have resigned themselves to knowing that they're probably not going to get traded from the Nets or at least knowing that they're in from the long haul. A source told Zagoria that the duo plotted is the word they use to exit and then quote, realized relatively realized very quickly that a quick resolution wasn't in the cards. Uh, This makes sense. Here's my thing. Kyrie just doesn't have any leverage at this point. He opted in. It seems like there's only a market of the Lakers unless, you know, there's another team willing to give up a first round pick for him. I could see Dallas doing it, but the Nets are going to have to take on probably bad money in that deal. Looking at, or I'll say unsavory money, looking at Tim Hardaway Jr. They have Dwight Powell's expiring contract. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie reunion in Brooklyn. He has another year left on his deal after this one. Although I think it's, I think it's only partially guaranteed if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's on the books for 18.9 after this coming season and 10 million of that is guaranteed. So most of it's guaranteed. So multi-year commitments, let's say to Dinwiddie and Bertans, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, has three years left on his deal. Just like Bertans there. Powell's expiring. Woods expiring can't be aggregated for them though until I think September, maybe it's August at this point. I need to check that date. Uh, you're not giving up Dorian Finney Smith for Kyrie Irving. You give up Josh Green. I'm sure you'd consider Reggie Bullock in that instance. They're really the only other team I talked myself into. I thought about Miami for a minute, but I just can't picture the Kyrie Jimmy Butler dynamic there. And you just start to run out of feasible options. Like there are teams that'd be fun to see Kyrie Irving on at least. Uh, from a basketball fit, but I don't know what other team is actually going to go in on his services. You lost another potential suitor in the the Clippers when they picked up John, John Wall for, for much cheaper. Um, so, and look, if the Lakers are going to give you even one first round pick, do you prefer their 2027 pick or Dallas's 2025 pick? And then salary that's not expiring. Uh, so th- that's something to consider there with Durant specifically. Uh, he probably needs to open up his list of destinations at this point, we know what Phoenix's best offer can be what it's best. I don't know if it's on the table, but Mikhail Bridges, Crowder, Cam Johnson, their entire future draft. We know what Miami's best offer can be. It would be Nikola Jovich. Uh, and, and it would have to be Kyle Lowry. That's the other thing here is that they can't even get to Kevin Durant's salary without giving up Kyle Lowry. So in theory, it would be Kyle Lowry. Um, they can throw Gabe, uh, Gabe Struess, Max Struess in there, Nikola Jovich, 
their entire future draft, less what they owe to Oklahoma City in 2025. Those are the teams on uh, on Kevin Durant's list of preferred destinations. I would argue that um, other teams, while they should get involved, are emboldened to not field their best offers because they don't have assurances that Kevin Durant wants to play for them. I know he has four years left on his deal. He's entering his age 34 season though. And you're doing this to make sure that he's happy and going to be fully motivated. And you're already just baking in the injury risk because of his availability these past three years, dating back to the Achilles issue, plus the overarching age. You're taking a gamble there to begin with. You don't also want to be, well, we're not sure if he's going to ask for out again in a year or the middle of next season. Conversely, or on the other side of this equation, if you're the Suns, if you're the Heat, why would you even put out your best offer? The Heat might have no choice. But if you're the Suns, why are you giving up so much when you know Kevin Durant wants to go to you or Miami? And so in theory, uh, Brooklyn is at a point, if Kevin Durant doesn't report to training camp, where they have to accept one of those offers. Now, they don't, technically, because... Kevin Durant has four years left on his deal. Everyone considers him a hashtag hooper that isn't going to sit out. He's still there with Kyrie Irving, who I don't expect to get traded if Kevin Durant is still going to be there. The Nets probably just roll the dice and see what they can be with the two of them. Uh, that being said, there's an incentive for Kevin Durant to uh, open up his list and start talking about other teams. And I, I think we're seeing evidence that this is going to need to happen if Durant's going to be moved anytime soon because Woj also reported uh, that Toronto does not want to part with Scotty Barnes in a Kevin Durant trade. That is their stance, he said. And Brooklyn right now, he says, wouldn't consider a deal without Scotty Barnes. The Raptors are just the perfect case study here because they're a team that I could see Durant adding to his list, but they're also a team that I think has every incentive to draw a hard line in, this, in the sand. And by the Raptors not including Scotty Barnes, it says a few things to me. One, that they probably don't trust KD is is very much wanting to play there. I have no doubt that they would acquire him anyway. They did so with Kawhi. Kawhi seemed to enjoy it there, even though he left. They won a title. Uh, that's a happy ending. With Durant, it's different. He's older, does have a ton of time left on his deal, but you don't want to have to deal with the ramifications of if he doesn't want to be there, in addition to the injury risk and the age factor. What this also tells me, though, is that the Raptors know Brooklyn has very little leverage here despite Kevin Durant being under contract. For that long, if the offers were that aggressive for Kevin Durant, you don't think we would have heard by now that the Raptors were willing to include Scotty Barnes and then minimal draft equity. And look, at the end of the day, I you're not going to get a player like Scotty Barnes again. The Raptors are the perfect example here. I don't care where you fall on Scotty Barnes. Do you think he's a future top ten player? I personally think he has the ability to get there. I don't know what I'm going to peg the percentage at, but we're talking about someone who I believe will be a multi-time All Star and I think makes them all NBA teams. That's a really fucking valuable asset um, and player. I hate calling players assets. I apologize for that. You're not going to give up on that, even though it's Kevin friggin' Durant, because you're acquiring him really for a two-year window in which you think he could be the best player on a title team. After that, you probably want to have someone else who can ensure that he retreats to the number two status. Yeah, Siakam and Vifli could technically do that, especially when you combine their value. But Scotty Barnes is a player that you are entrusting with the, the primary hopes of your franchise for the next decade, decade plus. You don't give that up. I'm not even going to say for a player who hasn't put you on your list, but for a player, I don't care how great he is right now, who is at the back end of his prime. 
That's just the fact of the matter here. And if you mix in this fact that we don't know whether Kevin Durant really wants to play for the Raptors, you, of course, don't give up Scotty Barnes. I wouldn't do it. Just like if I'm the Cavaliers, I'm not putting Evan Mobley on the table. Just like before he signed his extension and I was the Pelicans, I wasn't even putting Zion Williamson on the table. The Nets did not have as much leverage here as I, I think people believe. And if Kevin Durant gets traded, which I do ultimately believe will happen, I think there'll be one of two instances. That he gets sent to one of the two teams uh, that he wanted initially in Phoenix or Miami, and they're just giving up everything they have because it's Kevin Durant and they're on the immediate timeline to justify it. Or Kevin Durant ends up with one of those two teams or another team. It could be a dark horse for much less than we expected. There's still the chance he doesn't get moved, but I think the Ra Raptors specifically are right here not to dangle Scotty Barnes. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm still going to support that stance. If uh, Kevin Durant comes out or <laughs> lets it leak that, yeah, he wants to be in Toronto. You know why? Again, we're talking about going into his age 34 season. I know it's Kevin Durant. I know you acquire him with the chance to win a title. Um, probably have not only an above average chance, but if you're the, let's look at what the Raptors would be left with. You have Siakam and Van Fleet. I'm going to give you a better than 33% chance of winning the title over the next two years. What happens after that? And there, there has to be the mystery appeal that is Scotty Barnes. And knowing that he has three years left on his rookie scale and that given how restricted free agency works, you're looking at another four to five years on top of that. That is immense value. And it's why we don't see players traded on this early into their rookie scales when they show that much promise. Andrew Wiggins being the latest example with Cleveland when they got Kevin Love, it was different for one of two reasons. Uh, I don't think that anyone thought he was like clearly on the superstar track um, like we do with Scotty Barnes. Even then, and I know I know there was a ton of hype surrounding Andrew Wiggins coming out of college and coming out of Kansas. I, I get that. I'm just saying his rookie year was not as impressive as Scotty Barnes' rookie year. But you also had LeBron pushing for the trade to get Kevin Love, and you had Kyrie Irving already on your roster. This is like, this is not the same thing. There is no player on the Raptors at the level of LeBron. Uh, I think you can argue there's no player at on the Raptors at the level of what Kyrie Irving was then. And even if there is, I think Siakam has a case for that stage of Kyrie's career. And I'd probably take current Pascal Siakam over 2016 Kyrie Irving. I'm just, just being honest here. Um, you don't have the LeBron element there to where you know you have LeBron in his prime. Uh, and you're under all this pressure to win. You can keep Scotty Barnes and feasibly not only have a, an imminent path to title contention, but you might still be fringe contenders in the East anyway. I'd probably give the Raptors the top four spot in the East as of right now. There's the Bucks and the Celtics and everyone else in the East. I, it's wide open to me still who could fill the gaps there, whether it's Miami, Toronto, or Philly. Those would be the three teams I have in my, my next tier. Uh, so there's that to consider. I'm not giving up Scotty Barnes if I'm the Raptors, even if Kevin Durant wants to play for me. Part of the appeal here is pairing Kevin Durant with Scotty Barnes, where you're sort of segueing into the next era while also being this win-now title contender. I would give up Pascal Siakam before I would give up Scotty Barnes. I'd give up literally anyone and anything else before I'd give up Scotty Barnes. And that may seem obvious. I think it's less obvious to certain people because of how good Kevin Durant is. If you're Brooklyn, you absolutely push for Scotty Barnes. But if you're going to move Kevin Durant... I would also argue there are worse packages that you could accept than the second tier offers that the Raptors can give you. We haven't heard specific details on what those might be, but it just as a basis, if it's Pascal Siakam and a shit ton of draft equity, the Nets, as we know, want to win now. That makes a ton of sense. If they don't, if they aren't as interested in winning now and they want to maximize their draft equity, 
Toronto can trade pretty much their entire future draft. They have Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, both of whom are uh, on the super young end. And I know GTJ is going to be a free agent next summer, has a player option. There's still a ton of value in having his bird rights. OG is two years left on his deal. I still believe there's a higher-end offensive player there. And if you're in Brooklyn without Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, you might have the chance to plumb the depths of that game. What I'm basically saying is any of the framework of the offers I just laid out, I'd argue Toronto's second best or even third best offer, maybe even fourth best offer is going to be better than Miami's best offer at this point. Uh, as long as within reason that Toronto's not like, oh, we're, we're going to give you salary filler. It's OG, GTJ, and Ken Birch for Kevin Durant, and that's it. So within reason. Um, and I think their top offer, maybe even their second best offer, again, non-Scotty Barnes division, competes if not actually beats out what Phoenix can do. Those are the two teams I look at, Toronto and Phoenix, that I think have the guts to trade for Kevin Durant and have the best packages for Kevin Durant that aren't actually the best packages Brooklyn might be looking for. If KD opens up his teams to include other squads, could the Pelicans get involved? I, I don't know. I think they could give Toronto or Phoenix a run for their money with their best offer around a Brandon Ingram-type package. I still look at this race as Phoenix and Toronto being neck and neck but I do think something needs to appreciably change on the actual front in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. Um, the Nets either need to lower their asking price, which I think only happens if Kevin Durant lets this drag out, or Durant needs to open up his list of preferred destinations to really get these um, to get these sweepstakes up and moving here. Uh, the next thing we need to talk about on this list is some extension talk to really wrap this up. Kelvin Johnson signed for four years and $80 million with the uh, San Antonio Spurs. I was curious as to see whether there might be teams that are, try to trade for him, uh, knowing the direction the Spurs are headed in. Maybe they want to pay him. This is, we only have estimates on this deal. Maybe if I was San Antonio, I would see if we could structure it so that we're paying him more in year one and have it slide down. But as of right now, if you you know map it out with the, um, the ba the basic raises, he will never earn more than $22.2 in a single season. With the cap rising, that could end up being a steal. Keldon Johnson for the Spurs. Keldon Johnson was really good last year. Um, he His offense really came together. I think he was a lot more, I called him on the Spurs podcast we did, complimentary than he was in the previous season. Uh, hit a really good clip of his catch-and-shoot threes. There's not enough directionality to his drives just yet, and he needs to improve his finishing around the rim. But having a physical presence who is trying to barrel his way towards the rim certainly matters a ton. And you can really move him around on the defensive end. There's just a lot of malleability there. Not the most locked-down defender, but we're talking about someone who could go, go up against, I would say, one through four at this point, and at least hold his own. Um, so you could put him in those types of more aggressive defensive schemes. There might even be some teams that are willing to try him as a small ball five. Um, if they're surrounded by plenty of shooting and then defensive versatility there, he's probably just a hair too small to say that that's the direction that you want to go. But the Spurs used him to defend all, all sorts of different positions next year. And you go back and watch, he's on all different uh, player types. He's six, six, but he's, he's thicker. He's burlier than your typical six, six. I like that deal for both parties. Uh, I think it's, you know, it might be if Keldon Johnson doesn't progress from here, market value to above market value for what he does. But if you were San Antonio with so many teams projected to have cap space next year, the cap uh, is expected to explode in the coming seasons, not by as much as it did in 2016, but by a large enough chunk, he probably might've had fringe max money at this point. And so I think this was a win-win for 
um, for both teams. The other extension we got was Kendrick Williams in OKC. Uh, everyone who was demanding that their team or insisting that OKC trade Kendrick Williams to their team for a second round pick is, is gutted right now. Four years, 24 million. Again, we only have estimates on this. I would say both for Kenrich and Keldon Johnson, given that it wasn't reported since player options feel like um, they're favorable to agents. Oh, look, we got our player more, more leverage. Since they weren't reported at the onset, I guess there are no player options for either of these deals. With Kenrich Williams, he is, uh, if OKC structures it where there's raises involved, he will top out at $7.5 in the fourth year of this deal. That's just, we're talking about someone who's going to be I don't even know what the salary cap is projected to, you know, we have projections here. I have numbers written down in my spreadsheet, but by 2026, 2027, we're talking about a salary cap that could just be in the one forties nearing on one fifty. Um, that's the, you know, the current estimate right now for 25, 26 is one fifty. And so if you have Kenrich Williams, let's just, let's just say one fifty. that's conservative. And you have him at 7.5 million on a $150 million salary cap. That's 5% of the salary cap. That's a fucking steal for OKC. Uh, I get Cameron Williams signing this deal. He was making so little, and this guarantees him generational wealth here. He fills so many gaps on offense, very plug-and-play there, can score a little bit on the inside, can attack some closeouts, hit the three-ball at a reasonable enough clip. Not someone who's going to fire these really lucrative off-the-dribble jumpers, but we did see some nice um, you know, shifty stuff from him, like the occasional fadeaway there. In, in OKC this past year. Love him on defense. We talk, I talk about Keldon Johnson moving around. I'll put Kenrich Williams on all five positions right now. That he's just, he's infinitely scalable on defense. Plug and play there as well. And it's very rare, even when you have someone who's three and D, and I think he's more than this, it's very rare you say they're plug and play at both ends. The, the offense there is normally plug and play. They can hit threes, maybe uh, get to the basket in open space or make that the right pass in open space once they're chased off the three-point line. With Kenrich Williams, it's, not that he has to defend the two or the three or the three or the four. It's just, like I said, infinitely scalable is the best way to phrase it. He is plug in play li literally everywhere. So great for OKC to keep him. I'm sure some people will be clamoring for them to trade him anyway, eventually. Uh, the same thing will happen with Lou Dort. Speaking of that, though, we have, there's like, I guess this is a mini rant that I would like to go on here to, to close the podcast. And I'm not attacking... Uh, J.E. Skeets, uh, the, all the guys from No Dunks, Inc., uh, they're really funny. But he had tweeted that good question from Ben Gol Golliver's NBA Post-Up newsletter. Ben Golliver's at the Washington Post for anyone uh, who's wondering. Will a Josh Giddy breakthrough enable Sam Presti to sell high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander like the Spurs did with DeJounte Murray? I quote tweeted this, and I'm not calling out J.E. Skeets. Every, so many people think in these terms. He was also noting something that was... Um, asked within Ben Golliver's newsletter. I said, 24-year-old Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he just turned 24, is the Thunder's timeline, in my humble opinion. That's where I'm at. I'm not going to... I, I know we all have a tendency to over-romanticize draft picks. There comes a point, though, and I don't think OKC has done a bad job with its rebuild. It's those picks that they have, their own picks, notably, are turning into real talent. But they, we just saw them make a consolidation trade for Ujman Jang. They have Josh Giddy. If he has a breakthrough, you know what that does? It ups the value of having Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chet Holmgren. It means you're closer to winning now. Um, and if you have a Josh Giddy breakthrough, uh, just looking at it through trade terms, you're going to be more likely to trade Josh Giddy to me than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It's very rare that, I know he hasn't made an All-NBA team or an All-Star team. He's an All-NBA type of 
score and creator. And there's more to see from him on defense. I think he's going to have a better year. Something similar to his first season with the Clippers. There's more structure and rhyme and reason to how the Thunder's roster is built right now. And it doesn't feel like, assuming there aren't as many injuries, that their season won't be as disrupted as many times by different rotational changes. Again, I mentioned injuries. And then if there's any agendas toward the end of the year to increase the value of their draft pick, you're, you don't move a 24-year-old Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's entering the first year of his five-year extension. You keep this player. And it's just kind of gross how we view some of these smaller markets because if Shea Gilgis-Alexander was in New York or Los Angeles, we wouldn't consider them a farm system for trading player, trading them to other teams. Like Oklahoma City should want to keep Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He is right now their best path of having the best player on a contender. Could it be Chet Holmgren? Sure. Could it be Josh Giddy? I'm a little bit more skeptical there. But when you look at Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy, the future picks the Thunder have, I, I don't know how the argument isn't. And I know Sam Presti doesn't work this way, even though we saw them give up three conditional firsts for Usman Jang at number 11. He's not looking to make a consolidation trade. My gut right now, and I'm not even going to say educated guesstimate because I feel like most people have no idea what the hell is happening in Oklahoma City, they play everything close to the vest. I don't, I can't even have, I don't hear things from people who are hearing things from people who are hearing things from other people who are actually plugged in. That organization is just so tightly wound, I guess. And it can be a problem when it comes to media access, but I'm digressing here. I would argue that it's way more likely, not just minimally or a little bit, it's way more likely the Thunder make a consolidation trade for another star than it is that they trade Shane Gilgis Alexander within the next two years. Like if we get to a point where it's three years down the line, you're thinking about his upcoming free agency in two years, anything's on the table. And I'm I'm prepared to be wrong here. I will probably criticize the Thunder accordingly if they did trade Shane Gilgis Alexander. Shane Gilgis Alexander said he wanted to did it like watch the go back and read the comments from his exit interview. Go back and watch that video. He said he wanted to be in OKC. He said he talked with Sam Presti. Uh, about the direction of this franchise and that he's excited. It, it went beyond just sort of this typical cliche hand-wringing. There has been no evidence that the Thunder don't want Shea Gilgis-Alexander because, hey, not only have they not openly shopped him, no, and no player's untouchable. If there's a rumor that Team X called and offered X picks for Shea, that's not necessarily the Thunder calling. If there's a rumor they called in the 2021 draft and offered the first overall Shea Gilgis to Detroit for the first overall pick, that's it's just different. No, there are only a handful of players in this league who are actually untouchable. One of them might be Brad, one of them is Bradley Beal because he has a no trade clause for some reason in Washington. Sorry for that tangent right there. But the Thunder paid him. They gave him a five year extension. You would have heard more aggressive rumors in advance of that, or even after he signed it, leading into this offseason when he counted as a larger cap hit, that they were open to moving him. And if we're talking about the Spurs going down that road with Dejounte Murray as sort of the comparison. It's just different. They gave DeJounte Murray more time there. And that wasn't a decision. It was a decision that was made basically when he was extension eligible. And it, one, seemed like they were stuck in the middle. And two, that DeJounte Murray wasn't going to sign an extension. And they, would, they didn't want to pay him near max or max money once he hit free agency in 2024, I think is when he slated to hit. Uh, yes, 2024. This is so different because Shea is not extension eligible. He's only just beginning his extension. They've also already given him max money. DeJounte wasn't even on a max con like a max rookie extension. That's part of why he didn't want to extend, is he stood to make way more money by waiting until free agency. 
And then with Shea Gilgis Alexander, there have been injuries. He's been shut down. I would argue if you had given him a full season, especially in 2020, 2021, I think he would have been generated just more buzz leading into the All-NBA discussion. I'm not saying he would have made a team. I don't even remember who made those teams at the guard positions offhand. It's a bloodbath when it comes to that. But this is someone who's an All-NBA type of player. I've never viewed DeJounte Murray as that. That could be his absolute ceiling, his 99th percentile outcome. That is Shea Gilgis-Alexander's like 80th percentile outcome to me. His 99th percentile outcome is that dude's a top 10 player in the league, top five player in the league. And I'm not trying to be over complimentary here. I think there are a bunch of players who have the talent and have shown enough to where you can put them in that discussion. I never viewed DeJounte Murray. Let me walk it back a bit by saying, hey, I think he's kind of a top 15 player in the league. I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander can be that player. That's literally everything any rebuilding franchise is after. The fact that he only just turned 24, he's under contract forever. We don't need to start thinking about the Thunder's next move to get rid of him, especially when everything just seems so copacetic. Not just the signs that they paid him, that they haven't openly shopped in. He has said all these positive things about being in OKC. He has a great relationship with a ton of people on the team, including Alexei Pokashevsky, who he said was the toughest player to guard in the NBA. We don't have to do this. Shea, until proven otherwise, is the Thunder's timeline. And by the way, they're not stuck in the middle the way San Antonio was. They've either shown a willingness to shut down their players and be bad enough to increase the value of their draft pick, troll them as you want. The Spurs, they weren't willing to do that as egregiously. So they were more so in the middle. The Thunder have bottomed out. And if they do that again this season... I, I'll, yeah, it'll be a little bit irritating, but I'm willing to give them just another year because Chet Holmgren is still so young. I really don't know what's going to become of Josh Giddy as a scorer. But like, why can't we start thinking about, and some Thunder fans have gotten mad at me when I've said they should be in on, you know, kick the tires on Donovan Mitchell to pair him with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chet Holmgren. Um, I'm not saying that's what they have to do. And I think it's not what they are planning on doing. Sam Presti's been not open about that. It's just not the way he operates. My whole thing is, why can't we start thinking about these teams that have the basis for something really special with Shea Gilders-Alexander? Why can't we start talking about them in the terms of, well, what if they just make a consolidation trade now or over the next couple of years to elevate their position with Shea Gilders-Alexander rather than trading Shea Gilders-Alexander? I just don't get why we have to think in those terms. I'm not telling anyone how to fan here. You, Everyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a stickler against that. I love transactions. I love trades. I love watching basketball. I love reading about it, listening to it. I love so many different parts about this league. I also dislike certain parts about this. When I talk about detrimental coverage, though, or thinking, um, viewing smaller market teams as farm systems for bigger market squads or just other squads around the NBA, assuming that they can't get to a point where they can win with these players, uh, it's detrimental because it, like, even if it was true, you don't want to suggest that there are only teams in seven to 10 markets in the league that can win a championship. So that's just my little rant here until the Thunder show otherwise, and then we can debate this. But until it's shown otherwise, Shea Gilgis Alexander is the Thunder timeline, he's the single most important player to that franchise, especially because we don't really know what Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren are still going to be at this level. We know what Shea can do at this level. And yeah, if they were rebuilding and he was, they are rebuilding, but if this was a, hey, he's turning 30 or he's over 30 situation, then we could talk. It's not. He just turned 24. This is a core that I think is going to be together 
for the foreseeable future unless the Thunder sees an opportunity to acquire a big-name star who's under contract um, for the foreseeable future to join Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That is the player that I'm still viewing the Thunder's future through. It is him. And I don't even think that this isn't just a Thunder issue, but it's just a larger symptom, of, I think, of how we view certain markets or certain teams. Troll the Thunder for the way they've gone about rebuilding. That's I'm, I'll, I think there are legitimate criticisms to be had there. But I'm just against assuming this franchise, when they haven't operated in that vein, is going to get rid of a young star slash could-be megastar who's under contract. That would be something worth critiquing when it actually happens. They haven't done that. And I think the James Harden, bringing up the James Harden situation from 2012, that was a decade ago, guys. Let's let it die. It was a huge what-if scenario. It was a decade ago. And the, th- the, the organization thinks in different terms. We've seen them take some bigger risks since then. Look at the Paul George trade. Even look at the Carmel, uh, even look at the, the Carmel Anthony trade. But look at the, uh, uh, the Chris Paul trade. They got a ton of value for him on, on both ends of that deal, though. My point is just we're not even at that point. They didn't pay James Harden coming out of his rookie extension because for a litany of reasons, they've already paid Shigoods Alexander. And there was no one. There were players, too. And some people believed three when you looked at Serge Ibaka. Two players who were better than James Harden on the Thunder at that time. There's nobody on the Thunder better than Shea Gilders Alexander right now. And there's a chance that there may be, you know, only 10 to 19 players better than Shea Gilders Alexander next season. That's my main rant there. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast as always. It would mean the world if this is your first time listening that you hit subscribe on YouTube and your podcast player. Hit the like button, comment, leave us ratings, reviews everywhere that you can helps us out a bunch. If you've done all those things, if you're a YouTube subscriber, podcast subscriber, please, word of mouth, retweet our promos, recommend us to people that are looking for basketball podcasts. We do try and do a thorough job of covering the entire league here, and I will never take myself too seriously. That's an absolute promise, and I will try to engage with as many people as possible, YouTube, Twitter, Discord, uh, the whole nine. Links to everything, the social channels, Discord, those are in the podcast and YouTube descriptions. Uh, if you would like to check those out. Until next time, and as always, I give you the shout-out to the one, the only, the legendary, the only truly untouchable player in the NBA because of how sky-high and limitless his potential is. Shea Gilgis. It's actually Frank Nielakini.